I think the big lesson that I would want people to learn is to learn to treat everybody as a special individual created in the image of God. And before trying to unload all this, you know, you've got to share with them and get another notch in your evangelistic belt. You need to learn to stop and listen to people, respect them, understand them, and respond according to where they're at. Remember singing that song that joy is the flag flown high from the castle in my heart when the king is in residence there. You've got this joy, joy, joy down in your heart. You want to share it, what Jesus has done for you, but can be awkward sometimes getting into spiritual conversations. Hi, and welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler. It's a pleasure, friend, to have you stop by. Looking forward to the next half hour as we visit with two dear friends of mine. One, I just realized we've known each other for over 40 years. Another guy in the studio, not as long, but feel close to him, too, because he used to be uh, one of my pastors <laughs> on church staff, and I used to sit in some of his classes that were way over my head. <laughs> Dr. Jim Schultz and Dr. David Rogers are here from Christ Community Health Services. Gentlemen, welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. Thank you so much for having us. Joy, 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 it's as you joy. say, to be <laughs> with you today. Well, I was referring to that apologetic class that uh, yeah. you taught. Mm-hmm. That was the one I was just trying to you know, hold on to my seat for. But, Jim, it's so good to have you back in the studio, and this time without a mask. This is the first time since the pandemic that we've been maskless around Boy, each other. Boy, I know people have been waiting for that. People are trying to get back to some normalcy. If there's any such thing as a normal life, I think the pandemic truly, David, has changed a lot, right? It has changed a whole lot, but praise the Lord. It seems like it's <laughs> like it's lifting and the numbers are down and I'm optimistically you know, holding out that, You're encouraged. Is, that it's going well now. Good. And as I mentioned, you and I go way back. When I first became follower of Jesus Christ as a teenager, back in the late 70s, a friend of mine said, we need to grow in our faith. And there's this Bible teacher, Adrian Rogers, would be a great to help us learn about our walk with Christ. And I said, there's no way I'm going to join a big Baptist church. <laughs> But shortly after, I walked in and I heard the teaching of your father, Adrian Rogers. And for the next over 30 years, (laughs) I was part of the fellowship. You and I became friends in the youth group, used to hang out, listen to music together. And you used to help me actually produce a Christian music radio show on a local station here. You helped me put this thing together. That is right. I remember first meeting you. I think it was like at a midweek youth Bible study and striking up the conversation and finding out you were interested in music, and that was an interest of mine. And so we just connected there and became fast friends very quickly. (laughs) Yeah, we did. And I was in your wedding. You were in my wedding, too, I believe. I think so. Think and reflect. It's been a long time ago. Jim, we're going to bring the conversation to you, too, okay? No problem. I I was just reflecting. uh, You came to Christ uh, before I was born. Are you serious? No way. It's true. Oh, my goodness. He's making us feel really old, David. Well, I'm excited, Jim, because you told me back over a year ago, I believe, that you and David both were working on a book called The Practical Art of Spiritual Conversation, and it's in my hand right now. I mean, it's hot off the press. So we had to get together. I told you we would do a show to talk about it. The Practical Art of Spiritual Conversation, Learning the Winds of Evangelism and the Hows of Discipleship. 
The book has nine chapters, Spiritual Health, Diagnosing the Illness, a Framework for Spiritual Conversation. And we're going to just kind of unpack, not all, we don't have time in, in a half hour, but I really would like to unpack as much as we can. Jim, in the opening of the book, you say a book on spiritual conversations is worthless if not tried through real-life encounters with real people. This work comes from tens of thousands of conversations performed by the spiritual health team at Christ Community Health Services. I think it's important to start off, why are spiritual conversations important when somebody goes to the doctor for a physical concern? I think there's um, really just a special moment when uh, someone is in that exam room where they're faced with what I like to think of as sort of this tension between the way things are and the way things should be. Uh, So they may be ill uh, or experience some pain, and they don't want to feel that way. And so they're longing for this other situation, right? They want to be in a different situation. And that longing inside of our heart is really the echoes of Eden calling us back to what God intended. And so there's this moment where we can sort of reach into that and say, you know, that thing that you're longing for to be restored, the doctor may be able to offer some of that, but ultimately that's found in Jesus Christ. Uh, It's where people might be a little more sensitive to hearing the truth of, of Jesus Christ. And not everybody's in that place. And so what spiritual health advisors like David do every single day is they'll go in and have a conversation and see where people are. And so sometimes that's just a prayer. Sometimes that's just meeting with someone in their hurts. Sometimes that's evangelism. Sometimes that's connecting them to a church or helping them think about how to grow in their in their faith. But we want to have sort of a robust look at someone's spirituality and figure out how, how can I help this person move closer to Jesus? Yeah. And let's go ahead and mention your position as Chief Spiritual Health Officer at Christ Community Health Services. And David serves under your leadership as spiritual health advisor at Christ Community. And so I just want to kind of lay that out, too, in the beginning and your titles and your position, which has given you all of this experience, literally, I mean, tens of thousands of conversations with your team. I mean, it's incredible. But when you think about the spiritual side of our physical lives, because when you get news that you've got cancer— that becomes not just a physical thing. That becomes a spiritual question, doesn't it, David? You know that uh, my heart has been a missionary heart going back many years, yeah. and a lot of the times we've spent together have been in missionary context, Byron. You know, I was on the mission field in 18 years as a career missionary in Spain, but then life circumstances brought us back to Memphis, but my missionary call never left me, and God opened up this opportunity when I heard about Christ Community Health Services, and when I got wind of what it was actually doing, I realized, you know, this is, especially if I'm going to be here in Memphis, if this is where God has me, this is the greatest missionary platform I could ever imagine. A platform is just some situation that opens up the doors. It gives you an inroad, a natural opportunity to share the gospel with people. And within the the clinic, while they're getting ready to see the doctor, I found so much openness and receptivity to the gospel in ways. Actually, during the time I was a career missionary in Spain, I never never saw before. Well, I had the opportunity. I think I've shared the story, I know, with you, Jim. Prior to your position, there was another guy who led in that capacity as chief spiritual health officer and invited me to come by Christ Community Health Services where we did a live radio program. And I remember him saying, before we do the show, why don't you go with me and let me show you what we do when we go into the room. Mm -hmm. And so I got a chance to see a little bit about what you guys are talking about firsthand. Really neat to see how you engaged those who came in Nobody likes to go to the doctor, <laughs> you know, very, you know, hate to go, even if it's just for a checkup. So 
having somebody there that is spend a little time while you're waiting. Sometimes the doctor, you know, is busy with other patients or call came in or something's happened that he needs to tend to. So your time in that little room, waiting room might be prolonged, you know. So having somebody like yourself walk in and with a friendly smile and being willing to pray or talk to you, it really means a lot. David, in the book, you say that you had the privilege to engage many hours of fruitful dialogue with the hundreds of patients that the Lord has brought your way. How do you define fruitful dialogue with the patient? I would say it's moving then one step closer, one step further along in their walk with the Lord. When I say walk with the Lord, some of those people have begun a walk with the Lord, and they're not even aware of it yet because the Holy Spirit has already begun to work on their hearts. But somebody who maybe have never even heard of Jesus Christ, if I can just introduce, well, there actually was a man named Jesus Christ who is God's son and plant that seed. You know, if I've done that, I've moved them one step further along. Someone else may be a seasoned believer who's been in full-time ministry for 40 years, but I might be able to say something that encourages them or or helps them to think about a verse of Scripture that moves them one step further along. So wherever anyone is on that spectrum, I'm always looking and trying to see, well, what can I do in this limited time I have with them just to move them one step further along in their walk with the Lord? Have you discovered, and especially writing this book, that Christians find it difficult to engage in a practical spiritual conversation? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's, you know, sort of this common assumption out there that people don't want to hear about it. People don't want to talk about Jesus. And that's just simply not the case. You know, in fact, we've, we find that people are very open to having that conversation. And you think about what Jesus said. He says it's the laborers that are few, right? It's, it's the ones who actually have those conversations. So that's really who we're writing to. I think it's largely to two people. It's people who want to have those types of conversations, want to help people move closer to Jesus, but they just never seem to get around to the conversation or never know exactly what to say to get there. This book helps give them some meaningful questions and a way of thinking about the conversation that will help them have more of those. But then there's sort of this other group of people who maybe find that they overshare the gospel, maybe come across as a little heavy-handed or abrasive uh, abrasive towards yeah, others. Yeah. This helps that person really know maybe when to pull back, maybe to think about it a little bit differently in a way where they're just helping a person take a step. Not every person's to the point where they're ready to accept Christ, and that's not a loss for us. What we want to do is we want to help them yes. move to the next step. So it really is for those kind of two groups of people, and I think that's that's a lot of us. I know I've I've been the eager evangelist at times, and I've been the person who never gets around to the conversation at times. I want to winsomely be right in the middle where I'm having great conversations (laughs) that lead people towards Jesus every day. Family member many years ago, their father died. The day after the funeral, the pastor who conducted the funeral stopped by the house to see the family, and he said, unless you get saved today, you're Mm going to die and go to hell like your father did. Wow, come on. (laughs) That was not the moment in time. There is a time and place to share the gospel, of course. Yes. In the fresh death of their father while they're grieving, that's not the moment. And that's, you know, we spent a whole chapter talking about that, that, hey, there are times when it's actually inappropriate for you to share the gospel. I think it's so important that you're sensitive to the Holy Spirit and the timing and knowing when to do that. You've been on church staff. You both have been on church staff. I'm thinking, haven't you been on church staff? I mean, you've helped plant churches, I know. On the mission field, (laughs) I'm an elder at my church right now. Exactly. And I know, Jim, you've been on church staffs uh, here in Memphis and I think elsewhere, too. But I think these numbers speak for themselves. In 2019, your little team of six people had over 12,867 spiritual conversations. 
shared the gospel of salvation over 1,300 times, referred 845 people to local churches, saw 79 people commit their lives to Christ. And I was just thinking, there's probably churches that couldn't say that. You have to be intentional, right, to engage this, but you need to do it with wisdom. Uh, absolutely. You know what? For us, it's really about faithfully just meeting each person where they are. And there's so much behind those statistics that's not being told from mm-hmm. someone experiencing peace in the midst of a diagnosis or someone reminded that God hasn't left them just because someone like David walked in the room and, and spoke the word of God to them. Those numbers are great and they tell part of the story, but there's so much behind that story to really just show that Jesus is at work here and it's our job, just like Jesus watched where the father was working and followed after him. We, we want to be watching where he's at work and following after yes. him as, as well. But it's those faithful conversations each time, uh, each patient. Yeah, I think church ministry culture, we, we think that the only place God's at work is on a Sunday morning. You know, the, the word of God proclaimed from a pulpit, that is certainly important, uh, certainly uh, something where God's at work. But I think sometimes we forget that uh, the goal of the church, the goal of pastors, is to equip the saints for the works of ministry. And yes. so it's really the saints who should be going out and having conversations with people every day, just like the ones we're having in our clinics. You say that every Christian should be prepared to talk about Jesus with anyone. You say in your book that this requires a reorientation of foundational Christian buzzwords such as evangelism, discipleship, and gospel. Now, how have you seen these particular words, these particular buzzwords, as you mentioned, become obstacles or hurdles to the practical art of spiritual conversation. Yeah, let's let's focus on just discipleship and evangelism. We we tend to pit those sort of against each other, right? So we're either going to do discipleship or we're going to do evangelism, right? Uh, we're a discipling church. We're in a we're an outreach church. But really the what we try to do in the book is to reorient evangelism as one step in a larger discipleship context. You know, that's that's what Jesus told us. He said, you're supposed to go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And that's not just about seeing someone accept Christ as Savior. It's about the whole of someone's life. So there's a discipleship act that happens when an atheist moves to an agnostic. That's one step closer to Jesus, right, even though they haven't accepted Christ. It's a discipleship act when someone moves from lost to found, when they finally accept Jesus as their Savior. But it's a discipleship act when someone further roots in their church or begins practicing a spiritual discipline such as prayer or Bible study or gets equipped to go and have spiritual conversations. These are discipleship acts. We want to look at the whole of that, uh, of what we want to see from people and say, you know what, evangelism is just one step in that process. David, in the book, you talk about being spiritually healthy. Spiritually healthy means every aspect of our life. A lot of times we want to partition off and say, well, this is my spiritual life. This is my physical life. This is my recreation. This is my relationships. These are my hobbies. This is my job. But spiritually healthy encompasses every area of life and putting it under the lordship of Christ. And so when we talk to people, we don't want to just focus in only on what they understand to be the spiritual aspect. We want to talk about all of life and how the gospel impacts every single one of those aspects of their life. In the book, you guys compare Christians to being spiritual physicians. Yeah, really just trying to find a way to connect into the idea that, you know, when you go to a physician, uh, ideally what you're doing is they're diagnosing an illness so that you can get better, right? So you can get back to health. Well, when we look at the whole of life, we want to be healthy people. We want all of our lives to be healthy. And we believe, like David was just talking about, that the whole of a person 
is spiritual. And so what does it look like for us to diagnose those places where there might be illness so that we can move towards health? This isn't a negative thing. This is a positive thing to help someone move to living more fully in that relationship with God and according to his ways. And so a big part of what we want to do is we want to have a bigger vision for what it means to fully live in Jesus, that it's not just about me going to church and having my little quiet time at home and I'm good to go, right? No, the whole of our lives is lived under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And that's what it means to live as a human being. That's yes. how God designed us. Like that's, that's what he wants for us. Yeah. Do you often find a mismatch between what it means to be a Christian and what someone meant by saying they were a Christian when you walk in the door and visit a patient? I'm not originally from the South. Uh, I'm from St. Louis, and but I've lived a little bit everywhere. But you know, one of the funny things about the South is that just about everybody you meet is going to tell you they're a Christian, and they're going to tell you that they have a church where they go to church, even if they haven't been to church in two years. And so there's a lot of Christian speak that can happen here. Uh, and for some people, it's lined up behind a, a real, genuine relationship with mm-hmm. Jesus. But there are other folks that will speak the exact same words, but maybe don't have that relationship behind it. And so it can be a little bit troublesome to have a meaningful conversation with someone when much of what we try to do is convince everybody that we're a Christian, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, there is that there is that mismatch with some yeah, folks. Yeah. David, I like what you say in chapter three. Life in Christ isn't simply something to be passed on to others. God changes you first, then he leads you to give life in him away. What are some of those questions reflecting in our own spiritual journey that we should consider before helping someone else start a spiritual journey with Christ? Everybody's going through challenges. When you dig down deep enough, there's something they don't understand or something that's shaking them up, something that's getting them stressed out. And you can only lead people as far as you yourself have gone. So if you have gone through the dark valleys of your life and found the Lord's help there, then you're going to be able to share that with others. If you've never gone through that yourself, then you're not really going to have a whole lot to share with them. So that is key. If you want to be effective at having spiritual conversations with others, you first got to experience firsthand what you're trying to share with others. So you really got to kind of be living it out in your own life daily and experiencing Christ and the fullness of what he has through his word, you know, trusting. I mean, you know, having that relationship with him, because it's easy just to give the the one, two, threes, ABCs and saying, here's what you got to do to trust Christ. People need to see like a living testimony. Yeah, hearing that, I think that some people could take this and run with it a direction we're not wanting to say is, I have to have my act all together before I can start having spiritual conversations. It would would never happen in my life then. (laughs) One step further along. But it may be something the Lord's taught you that they still haven't taught that other person. And in that area, you can encourage them and help them take that step forward. And I also think that there are some ways in which we can feel like we're behind when we're actually right where the Lord wants us. So, you know, there are some who may come across as having it all together and do all the right spiritual things, when in reality, being closer to Jesus might be admitting that they don't have it all together, admitting that they do have areas where they struggle. Um, And that might actually be closer to the heart of Jesus than the person who appears to have it all together. Something I want to talk about, and that are the pitfalls to avoid when developing vision for a bigger gospel approach to the Christian life. And you use that term, bigger gospel approach, and you talk about bigger gospel approach and small gospel approach in the book. 
this could step on some toes. And I'm, uh, you know, I, I would encourage if folks maybe are a little uncomfortable, I'm saying to pick up the book and, and read it. Um, cause I think we, we flesh it out pretty well there. But the idea is that most of us, when we say, when we define the gospel, this is what we would say that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins so I can go to heaven when I die. That sounds right for most of us, for those of us who have been raised in a, in gospel believing church. Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins so I can go to heaven when I die. The problem with that definition of the gospel is that it's all about me and it's all about my salvation. It doesn't speak to anything else other than me. When I die, I get to go to heaven, my benefit. I would never want to tell someone that's not true. That absolutely is true. Jesus Christ did die on the cross for your sins. And because that's true, you do get to go to heaven when you die. But the beauty of the gospel, as as it's expressed by Jesus, it's much, much bigger than that. Mm -hmm. Jesus didn't just die for my sin. He died for your sin and David's sin. And he died for the sins of this whole world. And I'm just one little piece of that. And, And he didn't just die for individual sins. He also died to restore everything back to what he intended in the garden. That's what we see in Revelation. We see this beautiful picture of everything being restored back to what God intended. And so in the here and the now, I participate in the gospel by by working with him in restoring everything back to what he intended. Some of that might be evangelism and introducing someone to that uh, getting to go to heaven when they die. But it might be something as simple as um, doing my work faithfully or loving my family well or um, discipling my children. You know, the, the disciple, uh, this this gospel life involves everything like we're talking about. It, at first, it sounds like, well, what about what about people accepting Jesus? That's very important, but that's one aspect of what God is up to in this world, to restore everything back to what he intended in the garden. Well, as you talk about sharing, sometimes people aren't receptive uh, into the conversation. Uh, You say trust, even though they may not seem to be receptive, that God is still at work, and don't force something on them. And I think many of us have made that mistake, trying to force something out of zeal. Maybe we just didn't think through it enough at the time, you know? I think in large part, we need to follow Jesus's lead. You know, one of the things that he told his disciples was, if you go into a town and you're not received, shake the dust off your feet and move on. That's okay. If there if there's not a receptivity on the other end, you can move on to the next person or the next situation. That's a wise way for us to go about our spiritual conversations. It's our job to initiate and to and to step out in faith. But if we're not received in that conversation, we don't need to force the issue. We can shake the dust off our feet yes. and move on. Jim, you referred spiritual conversations with your love to the Antiques Roadshow. <laughs> and I love that show, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a great show. And yeah, what we're trying to do there is just say every day, People, you know, I, one of the things I love about antique roadshows is that they always have these people who bring something in that they didn't know was valuable. So there, there's a story of this one lady who had this work of art in her in her house for 40 years or something, and you know, never gave me that. You know, her kids probably wrestled by it. She probably thought about throwing it out at one point, but she took it to antique roadshow, and it turns out it was worth you know millions of dollars or whatever it was. And I love that story because I think it's true of the spiritual life as well. Every day we go down the street and we pass people of immense value, right? They are made in God's image. When we're in Christ, we are royalty. And we pass Mm -hmm. these people, people ready to respond to the gospel. And we just think they're people, Mm -hmm. you know, they're just a waiter or they're just a custodian or they're just a business person. And we give no thought to the immense value that this person has. And if we could just look with different eyes, we would see the value of human beings that we pass every single day. 
What a good word there. Well, we don't have a whole lot more time, but I want our friends to get a copy of The Practical Art of Spiritual Conversation, Learning the Winds of Evangelism and the Hows of Discipleship with our guest, Dr. Jim Schultz and Dr. David Rogers. It's available now, and you can get a copy of the book. How? Amazon? Uh, local yeah. bookstore? How do you get it? Yeah, there's hardcover, softcover, and Kindle version on Amazon. Uh, you can also uh, go to Whip and Stock, which is the publisher. There's so much more in the book that we don't really have time for. One of the things, David, you have a, a thing called the throne room that I, I kind of wanted you to talk about. <laughs> Maybe 30 seconds on the throne room. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I just say, but I'd like you to imagine with me a scene where you're up in heaven going around just for one day, but then you have to come back and you come to a door. On the door is a sign that says throne room. You open up the door and there's God sitting on the throne. And as you walk in, he pulls out his scepter and points it at you. Let's say I'm talking to you, Byron. And I say, he points it at you and says, Byron, what would you be feeling at that moment? Boy, and I, then I take it from there yeah, yeah. and lead them up to the throne and say, actually, when God is pointing the scepter at you, that's his invitation to draw near to him. And he wants to hear your request. He wants to answer your request, but you've got to have that faith to approach him. And he's there welcoming you wow. in. That is a lead in Oftentimes to share, really, the welcome is the blood of Jesus, and it's only because of the blood of Jesus that we have that access wow. to the throne room. That's the 30-second quick version. <laughs> I love it. No, I love it. And I, I thank you because it helps us to think that we need to be creative, right? be real with people. You know, that's what people really want the most, right? Yeah. Uh, as we wrap up, what would thrill you gentlemen most for readers to take away from your book? You know, David and I were actually, I think it was today, perhaps we were talking mm. about this. We just deeply want folks to get back to that old art of talking to people about Jesus, yes. um, whether they're believers in Jesus, whether they're not believers in Jesus, but to engage everyone. So we just want people to actually apply what they've learned. If there's anything valuable in there, try it out. I would just like to make clear that even though we've talked a lot about Christ community health services and the specific ministry of spiritual health in a medical setting, even though that's the laboratory where we've learned the lessons we've learned, the book is not just for people interested in medical settings. It's for everyone. And those lessons apply whatever you do in your life, wherever you're having conversations out there. So I, I think the big lesson that I would want people to learn is to learn to treat everybody as a special individual created in the image of God. And before trying to unload all this, you know, you've got to share with them and get another notch in your evangelistic belt. You need to learn to stop and listen to people respect them, understand them, and respond according to where they're at. What great words, gentlemen. Thank you so much. Excited about the book, The Practical Art of Spiritual Conversation. Get your copy today, friend. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, David, for stopping by. Thanks for having us. Well, friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. Thanks for stopping by. I'm Byron Tyler. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. All right.